Hey, Gen Xers, just a quick note. This episode contains discussions surrounding the use of cannabis and cannabis-related products. As a matter of public health and safety, the Untitled Gen X podcast would like to remind listeners to enjoy the legal stuffs responsibly. Cher walked so Elle Woods could run. Rolling with the homies. You left me stranded in the valley. Ah, oh, as if. Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Gen X podcast, a podcast dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's totally bugging in the best possible way. My friend Amber Dorsey is here to break down 1995's stylish high school satire, Clueless. But before we get way existential, I'd like to tell you all about Gemini queen Amber Dorsey. Amber's a social media magician and flat lace specialist. She's also an active champion of the cannabis industry and a huge supporter of women-owned businesses. When Amber's not creating content, you can find her tending to her plant babies, hanging with her human babies, scouting sneakers, or eating tacos. Welcome to the podcast, Amber. Thank you for having me, Lori. That's awesome. That's silly rad too. Because I'm like thinking like, I should have tacos for dinner. (laughs) I should have tacos for always. Always. Tacos are always a good idea. They really are. And you know, I wanted you on the pod because your personality is so big and vibrant. And I know Clueless is one of your all-time favorite movies. All-time favorite. As soon as you asked me, I was like, okay, so there's really only one answer for this. This is my movie. Yes. This film was written and directed by Amy Heckerling. And Amy Heckerling directed Fast Times. That was her first movie. We covered that in episode three this season. The Look Who's Talking movies, European Vacation. And in the feature Creative Writing, Heckerling revealed that Clueless came to be when 20th Century Fox told her, hey, look, we want you to do you know, something about teenagers in the in crowd. And she was like, okay, I can do that, but only if I can make fun of them. (laughs) She was like, yeah, okay, cool. But like, there's a lot to laugh about here because there is. There totally is. And it was the nineties too. So it was like peak time to make fun of teenagers. (laughs) We were so (laughs) self-absorbed. In like the best, most naive way. Every time I think of this movie and like some of the lines, I'm like, this is my entire teenage life. Just, I live in a bubble. Like, what are you talking about? This is, what are you talking about? I totally paused. I totally paused. Every time I hit a stop sign, I totally paused. <laughs> a California rolling stop. Yes. That's okay. That's the thing is like, and then growing up in California, you already know, like, that's a rolling stop. Everybody's like, totally pause. Keep it going. <laughs> we got places to be. Not everywhere in LA takes 20 minutes. No. And you try driving in platforms. Oh my gosh. And I was driving for those, like literally learned how to drive in those shoes. And I'm like, this was not safe and not a smart time. And yet our parents were like, yep. Bye. (laughs) Bye Bye-bye. Be safe. Yeah. So when Heckerling developed the script, she actually developed it as a pilot for a TV show. And it was about a girl that's like eternally optimistic. The studio didn't really get it and they passed on it. And she said like everything with this project was going wrong. 
And so she ultimately changed agents. And one of her new agents said, this is too good for TV. You need to make this into a feature. So what ended up happening with the script is like a bunch of studios passed on it. It was bought and then put in turnaround. And eventually Paramount Pictures got it. So the film was released on July 19th, 1995. Oh my God, I feel so old. Oh my God, right? (laughs) I was like, what? Yeah, the budget was 12 million. It made in its opening weekend, 10 million. If I remember correctly, it grossed almost as much as it was cost to make it. Yes. And they were so blown away by it. They were. It was a real sleeper hit. It ended up making $56.6 million in the box office. Holy crap. I saw it at least three times in the theater. At least. It's my favorite movie of all time. Like, obviously. My high school best friend and I, like, we are Sharon Dion. You cannot tell us any different. We are in our 40s and we are still like... Hi, we still call each other Sharon Dion to this day, and neither one of us will claim which one we are. Maybe you're a little of both. I remember it coming out. And it was funny because I remember at that time in my own life, like I was sort of not in any one group. I was more like, yeah, kind of going in all the groups at high school, whatever. And my best friend went to a different school. And I remember going on the weekend and like, we're going to go see this movie. So one of our parents dropped us at the mall for like 12 hours and <laughs> we saw the movie and hung out and had a blast. And we're like, this is the best movie ever made. I need every single outfit that this girl owns. Like she had the white pager with the clear backpack. I had a purple pager. We had the plaid skirts and the knee high socks. Like there are photos of us. We have these exact outfits. Like it's scary. Girlfriend, I need you to pass those along. So we can share those on the gram. I have some somewhere buried deep, but like, (laughs) it's funny when we look back, I'm like, oh my God, we were literally out here walking around on like a Tuesday with a baby doll tee and like a skirt and like knee high socks and chunky boots. (laughs) And you know, you can buy all that stuff at Target right now. You can buy all of it. Oh my God. I had to send her a picture because I went into Target a couple weeks ago and there was a mannequin wearing a pleated skirt with a (gasps) vest with like Argyle print. And I like immediately took a picture of it and sent it to her. And I was like, hey, 1995 called. They want our entire star back. And she screamed. That was our movie. We saw it at least three times in the theater together, separately, and then went back and saw it again together. And then when it came out on VHS, (laughs) my dad was the kind of person that like would see a movie at Costco and just buy the film and be like, because he knew that I liked it, right? Right. So I'd come home and there'd be like a a a DVD. It was a VHS back in the day. (laughs) Like, who are we kidding, Amber? (laughs) Let's be honest. So I'd come home and there'd be this VHS on my bed and it's clueless. And she was with me and I'm pumped. And she goes, oh, that's so exciting. I love this movie. Tell me why I came back the next week and my dad had bought another one for her. Oh, your dad. The best. I know my dad's just legit. But like this has been like our meeting ground for the last 20 plus years. It's like, wow, we really, really love this movie and we can still quote lines and we still know it by heart. So all these years later, upon the rewatch, did it just bring you as much joy as it ever did? Oh my God. I was like, this is the funniest thing ever. Even the jokes when you're like, eh, that might not be, that might not fly today. Right. But I'm like, they're still, still spot on the money. Like, oh, she's good. She wrote some really, really good one-liners. It's amazing. And especially because 
so much of this film actually really is very dated. Like Mm -hmm. the mentions of Marky Mark and Luke Perry and Christian Slater. Those are really, really dated pop culture references. And yet it does not in any way take away from the magic and the charm of the film. No, not at all. Like she says, even in the intro, I know you're thinking this looks like a Noxzema commercial. Like nobody knows what Noxzema commercials look right. like now. <laughs> but it's true. It's one of those iconic lines where you're like, oh yeah, it really aged well. Like there are so many movies from like my earlier childhood where I'm like, oh, this did not age well at so all. Many. Like, oh, this is bad, bad. But this is one of those where I'm like, ah, Okay, they could tweak this, but realistically, there's like maybe four lines that they would really, really need to like go back in and tweak, but they could put this movie out today and it would still be just as fabulous, I feel like. I mean, but I'm also super biased. You're not biased. You're spot on correct. 100% facts. <laughs> so like you said, we open on her saying like, is this like a Noxima commercial or what? And then she she tries to sell us on the fact that she's totally a normal teenage girl, she's Amber. Totally normal. <laughs> She just lives in this big ass house in Beverly Hills. Her classic house with columns that date all the way back to 1972. That's my favorite line. I know. So Cher, okay, she's totally normal. She gets up, she brushes her teeth, and she picks out her school clothes. And this, this scene, this opening scene, like one minute, 30 seconds in, when she is picking out her school clothes with this computer software, this magical. It's 2021 and we still don't have this. Like, why is that not a thing? I'm so mad. I was convinced clearly by the time I'm an adult, this will be a thing. And I can have my closet just like on my computer or whatever. Dress me like a paper doll in the morning. Don't make me put on these clothes. It's exhausting. No. And you know, that software would really, really come in handy for packing. I mean, let's be honest. It would change all of our lives. And I feel like some of these, even like these subscription box companies, like, hi, if you could upload a whole like figure form of me and then (gasps) dress me like that, can you imagine? (gasps) Stitch Fix, are you listening? This is what y'all need to be doing. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, she settles on the iconic yellow plaid number with those knee-high socks, (sighs) which was actually a Jean Paul Gaultier. And it was one of a few pieces that the costume designer Mona May had the budget to splurge on. It was so worth it because how many times have people tried to recreate that entire outfit and look to this day? Oh, I know. It's so completely iconic. It looks amazing on her. When we see Dion later, she's wearing a very similar version of that. It's black and white because she has the white Dr. hat. That who goes to high school wearing a hat? I mean, it's just so (laughs) fabulous. You know, in regard to the fashion though, Mona May told Town and Country, when Heckerling wrote Clueless, she knew that I was the person to do it. I grew up in Europe, so I had a very European point of view. I could bring the high fashion from Europe to high school in Beverly Hills. She nailed it. Mona May. She absolutely nailed it. And I think that was really where we saw the beginning of the mix of like high-low fashion. Yes. And where kids actually started to become the trendsetters instead of like, I mean, we grew up in that whole Kate Moss supermodel era where everybody was like, they were very iconic, but they were very unattainable. Those looks were not things that we were going to be wearing. And then Clueless came out and it was like, oh, oh, I can dress just like this. It started to make more sense to us. Like I have this in my closet. It was contempo casuals. Can we also just talk about like one of my favorite scenes is when she's stressed and she's like, 
I have to go to a place that makes sense. And it's the West side pavilion. And my best friend and I, we used to go to that and like drive up and see this thing and be like, Oh yeah. Like angels would sing. Now we are in our happy place. We're in our happy place where, where we can do some like real self-reflection. We can solve some problems. We can solve the world's problems quite honestly. And we can get a Cinnabon in between. (laughs) (laughs) That is so funny. So let's talk about the casting of Cher because I mean, Alicia Silverstone, she nailed it. Nailed it. She was just like born for that role. But actresses that were in the running for the role, Alicia Witt, Reese Witherspoon, Zooey Deschanel, and Gwyneth Paltrow. Can't see Gwyneth Paltrow. No, absolutely not. What's surprising though is Sarah Michelle Gellar was actually offered the role, but she had to turn it down because of scheduling conflicts with All My Children. Stop it. Oh my God. I forgot she was on All My Children. She was. <gasps> she was. She was the Kindle. She was Kindle. She was sneaky. And I for- see this is Wasn't how you know she I'm like old. Susan Lucci's daughter. Yes. She was a very like sneaky, like, yes. Oh, she could have been Cher. No, she could not. No. Have been. no. According to Time Magazine, Heckerling wanted Silverstone because of the Aerosmith videos. She yes. said, I was watching an Aerosmith video of Cryin' and I just fell in love with her. And then my friend Carrie Frazier, who was actually the casting director who was casting the film, she said, you have to see this girl in The Crush. And I was like, no, I want the Aerosmith girl. Well, <laughs> it was same the same girl. girl. <laughs> <laughs> I also love The Crush too. It's a great one. Yes. So we see her in her white Jeep that she's, you know, learning how to practice, you know, how to drive on. And she goes to pick up her bestie, Dion. Dion is played by Stacey Dash. Apparently, Lauren Hill was considered for the role. Okay, see, that I never, ever knew. And yeah, no, that wouldn't have worked. Yeah, Stacey's really the only one who could have done it. Stacey said, I knew it was my role. That is her role, like forever and always. Yeah. So it's clear that these two girls, they're not only super popular, but they're pretty vapid. I mean, you know, they, they both know what it's like for people to be jealous of them. Yes. That's why they're friends. (laughs) It works. So Dion dates a classmate named Murray played by Donald Faison and actually Terrence Howard auditioned for the role. That's wild. Yes. Oh, this is hilarious. I love, 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 love the dynamic between Dion and Murray. It is such a typical, like dramatic high school relationship. Oh, it is all the drama before 8.15 in the morning. Like, <laughs> <gasps> And you remember that, like, there was so much drama and it would be like 8.45. Yeah, like you haven't even been to first period yet. And it's like, <gasps> so-and-so is crying in the bathroom. And like, he broke up with her last night. I know. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, she found a cheap hair extension in his car. And he tells her, no, girl, that's yours. And she's like, I'd not wear polyester hair. <laughs> And speaking of vehicular sex, like just the whole, like, I mean, even the music that they use when they intro Murray and his friends and like that walk and the whole just, first of all, I remember doing dances to that song because I believe it's Shoot. And I'm like, <laughs> salt and pepper, right? Yes, it's salt and pepper. And I'm like, I remember that. And I just remember like the way that they pan and then pan back. And we'd never seen that where it was like, 
oh, these kids look exactly like my friends. Like these are the same kids that I'm hanging out with in the mall. So, okay, this is totally relatable. Like, yeah, these aren't like the fake high schooler kids. What was so great though is these aren't the 90210 35-year-old kids or adults, excuse me, playing high school kids. Like they're kids. They look like kids. They look like my me and my friends and everybody. It made sense to us. Like it yes. wasn't that far of a reach. Because yes, 90210, those people were like, hi, you're 35. Right. Exactly. And you're supposed to be 16. <laughs> That's not a look. <laughs> but did you know that Donald Faison's braces were fake? Yes. You knew that. I believe it's in as if the book. Oh, okay. like there is a point where he's doing something weird where he's like licking the braces and someone was like, did that hurt? And he's like, they weren't real. They weren't real. Anybody who has braces knows or who had braces knows you're not rubbing your tongue across <laughs> your braces all day. That does not feel good. He said, I had an extra tooth and they wanted to hide that because it looked kind of weird when I smiled. So they put braces on me. And it makes sense because that's the perfect for his character. Like you're still cool, but you're still very young because you you're got braces. still very young. Yes. So Cher thinks dating a high school boy is like the dumbest thing. She's like, they're like dogs. You have to clean them and feed them. And this is when a boy comes up to her and puts his arm around her. And she's like, ew. And she pushes him off so aggressively. Yes. And she's like, as if. That's the best line. Because I feel like everybody's just, ah, oh, as if. Okay. So even at that age, that gave us permission to be like, no. I no. don't have to accept these advances and I can't have a boundary and be like, don't touch me. Right. But at 16 and 17, we didn't know that it was a boundary or that was the thing that we were trying to right. set up. We were just like, ew, no. And she was bold and unapologetic about it. She was physical about it. And it was great to hear someone be like, no, high school boys are dumb. And I remember being in high school and like, I didn't date a high school boy either. So I was very much like, I'm sure. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Um, high school boys are useless. Like they're so immature. Where are you guys going for dinner? I'm going to the cheesecake factory. Like, I don't know what you guys are. Doing. I'm going to eat the brown bread. Thank you very much. Right. I am 17 and I'm having brown bread and not just sourdough bread. Right. So this is when we see Cher in debate class and she's debating with Amber, who is played by Elisa Donovan. A ambular. She's the one that dresses in the crazy high fashion. She's, I don't know if you watch Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. She's of course sort of I like, do. okay, she's sort of like the Sutton Strack of yes. this high school. Like just because it's high fashion doesn't mean it looks good. Yeah. What they're debating is whether all oppressed people should be allowed refuge in America. Um, hello, 2021 topics. <laughs> as relevant as ever. So Cher is on the pro side. This is when she refers to the Haitians as, as Haitians. We could totally party with the Haitians as long as we get into the kitchen, rearrange a few plates. I'm telling you, I know this verbatim. Like it's, it's so good. It's scary. I can't remember why I went in the kitchen, but I know exactly <laughs> what that's. Girl, <laughs> it's priorities. It's things that matter. So that whole thing about the Haitians, that actually wasn't in the script. I mean, she mispronounced it. And Heckerling was like, this is brilliant. Nobody tell her otherwise. <laughs> I am keeping this shit in. Because it makes so much sense. Because for her character, yes, yeah, she would totally say the Hadians. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so good. So her debate teacher is Mr. Hall. And Mr. Hall is played by Wallace Shawn, who we know and love, 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 love so much from The Princess Bride. 
Inconceivable. Inconceivable. He's the voice of Rex in Toy Story. Yeah. And he was also in Gossip Girl, which I do love me some Gossip Girl. I do. My God. He like does not know what to make of Cher. Not at all. I, I think he's like, what she says, it, it's not like it's stupid. Even if it's a funny way of saying this, it's just not backed in any research. It's like, right. she's not necessarily wrong. Wrong, but she's not, she doesn't have any, she has some valid points were made. Yes. Like, where are your primary sources, Cher? Right. I need you to cite all of your sources. <laughs> I love how she just relates it to her own, like, very privileged life. But okay, so if we we can touch on that and then go segue from that into how Reese Witherspoon does that in Legally Blonde. Okay, I have a note, Amber, that said Cher walked so Elle Woods could run. So whatever Reese says when she is in court that one day and the, uh, activating the I'm, uh, ammonium thigoccalate, yes, the for the perm. perm. Yeah, yes. So I'm washing my hair the other day and I was thinking that exact same phrase is like when she says, I'm going to talk to you about something very important, my hair. And I was like, that is exactly how Cher was when she's like, so I had a garden party for my dad. And I'm like, this is me as a person as well. Like I have a point, but I have a personal story that's going to relate to this point, but I have to get that out first so that I can tell you why that this makes sense. And then you're going to be like, oh, yes. I mean, there were real similarities between Elle Woods and Cher Horowitz. I totally clocked that. And I was like, that's amazing because, you know, Reese Witherspoon was up for this role. She could have nailed it too. I mean, obviously she did it. She did it later in Legally Blonde. That's crazy. That is crazy when you think about it too. I know. So Mr. Hall hands out the report cards. Dun, dun, dun. Oh my God, Amber, Cher gets a C in debate, which is totally unacceptable. She's totally bugging. Totally bugging. This is when we see her getting ready for dinner at home. We hear her voiceover talking about like her annoying former stepbrother, Josh. She spends a lot of time hanging out at the house. Of course, Josh is played by Paul Rudd and he listens to his whiny wow, college wow, music. Wow. Yes, the crybaby station. <laughs> the college radio station. Yes. And so Josh spends a lot of time at the house because he doesn't like his new stepdad and he's still really close with Mel, Cher's father, but they have a very, like a very typical sibling type relationship. They make fun of each other. Yes, They get along, but like, he thinks she's materialistic. She thinks, you know, like, oh, you're such a deep thinker. You're so like concerned with the environment. Like they're just really polar opposites of each other. So in terms of the role, though, for Josh, Ben Affleck and Zach Braff also auditioned. That's interesting. I mm-hmm. could see more Zach Braff than Ben. Me but too. like, yeah, Paul, I mean, Paul is just, uh, we love Paul. I mean, he's been in everything. He's so funny always. And he still looks the same. And he's just like effortlessly charming. Yeah. Both of them are actually. Their chemistry is fantastic. They're just alarmingly charming where it's like. Okay, I feel like I'm supposed to not like you kind of as a character. Like, I'm supposed to see your flaws, but I actually really like you because there's something so endearing about you as a character. It's not even like you're endearing in spite of your flaws. It's almost like your flaws make you even more endearing. That's exactly what it is. Like, I just really like these flaws and all. Like, I'm into it. I'm into it. Yeah. So Sharon Josh join her father, who's a successful lawyer, for dinner And Cher's dad asks her about her report card. And she's like, it's not ready yet. My teachers are trying to lowball me. And she sees her grades as a jumping off point. 
Her dad is very impressed by this. And I wanted to ask you, Amber, have you ever negotiated a grade? Yes. <gasps> Tell me the story. Because of this movie. What? Well, because when she said they're just a jumping off point, I was like, but I didn't know that that was like a thing that you could do, like argue about your grade until she was like, yeah, I've, I've done it every other semester. And I'm like, wait, I can talk to my teachers about my grade. Right. In college, I actually took that to heart. Like, yeah, these grades are just a jumping off point. So let's go sit and have a conversation. And that's when I learned if you go to your professor's office hours and like talk to them, they will actually bump your grade up and change it. Listen up, kids. I really learned that and was like, okay, I had a grade. I think it was my freshman year. I think I had missed a test because I was sick that day or whatever, what have you. And I didn't get like the doctor's note. And it was one of the one teacher who was like, you have to have like, I need a three to come on, dude. It was your Mr. Hall. It was my Mr. Hall. And I was like, I went to office hours twice and like sat in the front, like the next two weeks and like answered question. Yeah. It was full on learning triangle, right. In the very front of the class. And I negotiated my way from a C to a B plus. Because <gasps> it was one of those where like the final was like 40% of your grade or some oh, nonsense. Yeah. Right. And I was like, oh, come on. And it was cumulative. Mm. Really? Mm. But somehow it worked. Um, and that's when I learned how to basically BS my way through college in certain classes is like, oh yeah, you can actually like negotiate your grade. But what she said when she says, I just saw them as a starting off point for negotiations. This is brilliant. Let's negotiate. What else do you exactly. have? Exactly. And I mean, you and I have both made a living doing freelance work. It's a starting off point. Yeah. Don't be afraid to ask. The worst they can say is no. Until they say yes. And then you're like, oh, crap. Now I actually have to come through. And now do I have to deliver. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Was not prepared for that. <laughs> so we then see Cher hard at work negotiating her grades with her teachers. And it's working with everybody except Mr. Hall. And Shara is used to getting her own way, right? She's like super frustrated. This is when she decides to go to the mall with Dion to like clear her head. This is when they're in Contempo Casuals and Shara gets the brilliant idea. Let's make Mr. Hall sublimely happy. I mean, Amber, he's 47. He's single. He earns minor ducats. <laughs> minor ducats. <laughs> and he's in need of a good, healthy blank fest. Yes. And who, who's available? She comes up with Miss Geist. We love her because she's so awkward and messy. The lipstick on the teeth. The slip hanging out. Yes, she's just so great. <laughs> she writes Miss Geist a love note from a secret admirer. Now, this film is 100% a modern take on Jane Austen's classic novel, Emma. So in developing the script, Heckerling said, Unconsciously, I had been writing an Emma-like character. She went on to say, like, I had always loved the story so much. And she said, quote, the plot was so brilliantly laid out in Emma. So I tried to take all the things that were in this sort of pretty 1800s world and see what it would be like if it was in Beverly Hills. That's funny. And actually really interesting, too. Like, that that's a skill level that I don't think people actually think about these days. Even though this was a modern adaptation of Emma you know, set in 1995, it still totally works today. And the world has changed a lot in the last 26 years. A lot. Yep. And I feel like, again, this is one of those things that like they could remake this today and like plot premise, all of it stays the same. 
it stays the same. So in Mr. Hall's class, this is when we start to learn that Cher is smarter than maybe we've given her credit for. When Mr. Hall calls her out for her tardies, she's like, I object. Do you recall the dates of the alleged tardies? This was so Elle Woods. And in an article titled True Confessions of a Female Director for The Ringer, writer Lindsay Zolads said, Clueless is a cinematic sleight of hand. It's an excessively smart movie about dumb people. Or more subversively, it's a sly assertion that the types of people that can be easily dismissed as ditzes or airheads, usually teenage girls, often possess an intelligence the world doesn't give them credit for. So true. Nobody is listening to us. Nobody is listening. And what I love so much about Cher was that she demanded to be heard. And she was very clear with the words that she asserted. And that was, I think, the best part even about those debates in the class is like, even if she clearly had no full grasp of the concept, she had an opinion and she was going to give it. And you were going to respect it whether you agreed with it or not. Like, I'm so sorry that you don't think so, but this is my opinion. Even when the teachers were sort of like, what? She didn't care. It didn't derail her from her point of view. Yeah. She was focused. And I'm like, yeah. Go for it. More girls needed to see that because none of us were able to speak up in class. I remember being drowned out in class because there was always either a boy in the back or the teacher was just kind of like, "Hmm, okay, your opinion, that's cute. But who else has another idea? Like, no, no, no. My opinion is actually very valid. And I didn't feel seen like that until I went to college and felt like, oh, okay, now we have a little bit more open dialogue. But In high school? No. And she was giving all of that in high school. In high school. And what an amazing permission, because I do believe in the 90s, we sort of needed that. I don't know. I know I did. I was a wallflower. I was afraid to speak up. I was a people pleaser. It was nice to see a character saying it how she thought, no matter what people thought of it, because she was just so resolute in what she believed. Even when she was dead wrong. <laughs> Even when she was so wrong. She was like, I am convinced and convicted and you cannot tell me otherwise. I know. I love it. I love it. So Cher ends up spending more time with Josh because he's always around. She needs a licensed driver with her when she drives because she's got three tickets. And this is when we see more of their dynamic. She begins to make fun of him for being involved in the tree people club at school, the environmental club. And he thinks she's too selfish to care about making a difference. Mm -hmm. So it does start to creep into her consciousness. In the very next scene, she asks Dion, like, do you think I'm selfish? The iconic, not to your face. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's so true. I mean, yeah, but not to you. I mean, yeah, but I don't want you to know that. Right. Like, I mean, I wouldn't tell you that, but yeah, you're absolutely. (laughs) So as part of her master matchmaking plan, Cher offers Mr. Hall coffee to share with Miss Geis and the plan works. They soon become a couple and they begin to grade much easier. In fact, the whole school is benefiting from this. At one point she walks out and she actually takes a curtsy. Is she wearing a beret there? She's wearing a beret. She's wearing the Argyle vest. It's a button down. It's the pleated skirt. She's got, I know the outfit. It's so sad that I know exactly what she's wearing. But like, I remember being like, I need that in my life. It was so cute. And I think she was wearing some like Mary Jane type Mm -hmm. shoes with the knee high socks. Oh, so cute. Fun fact. My teenager has those shoes right now. So cute. She came down in them and I was like, 
I don't even know how I feel about this because you're like, I couldn't be happier if they were based on real grades. Exactly. <laughs> Iconic parenting in this movie. <laughs> she argued her way from a C plus to an A minus. Go share. That's impressive. Like I, as a parent too, I feel like, yeah, I'm not even mad at that. I'm super impressed. Genius. You are a genius. You're genius. Yeah. You're genius. <laughs> Done. <laughs> So this is when the girls are in PE and everyone, I love it. They're all wearing black and white because those are the school colors, but everyone is like super high fashion wearing their own black and white outfit. They have on like baby doll tees and like biker shorts, but like crop tops. But I'm like, our PE uniforms were disgusting. Oh my God, they're so (laughs) ugly. So ill-fitting. It was so like one size fits all t-shirt, shorts, sweats. That's it. And they're like styling. Everybody's got their cell phones hanging. I know. Nobody's doing anything. Nobody's doing anything. This is when the new transfer student arrives. The alternative grungy new student named Ty, played by Brittany Murphy. Oh, God bless her. That was such an iconic role. Oh, so good in that role. You know, Leah Remini auditioned for the role. Wow. Could not see that for her, but okay. Yeah. In regard to Brittany Murphy, Alicia Silverstone told Vogue, I can't remember how many girls came in to audition for Ty that day, but I remember Brittany being really adorable. She's so good at that little accent because she already had one, but I think she just pushed it to new heights. I found her so wonderful. And I said to Amy right away, I think she's the one. She was the best one, you guys, hoping that they would agree. And they were like, uh, yeah, duh. Of course she was the best. She's the one. They're like, kid, get out of here. Uh, yeah, we, we got this figured out. Thanks. Yeah. So of course, Brittany Murphy, we know her from Uptown Girls, Girl Interrupted, Little Black Book, Eight Mile, a bunch of other stuff. We'll talk more about her at the end. So high off of her good deed with Mr. Hall and Miss Geist, Cher is convinced that she and Dion should adopt Ty because she finds her adorably clueless. But their stock would plummet. <laughs> Right. And this is when Cher's like, um, Dion, don't you want to use your popularity for good? Dion's like, no. <laughs> and I love so much. Ty is wearing a full on troll shirt. There's a troll on her shirt. <laughs> She's wearing like a flannel shirt over it, these baggy pants. She's so like grungy granola. She's so the antithesis of Cher and Dion. It's perfect. So this is when Cher and Dion take Ty around the school to show her the different groups, <laughs> all the different kids on campus. And can we just talk about how ever since this movie, they now do this in every single teen movie. Clueless is the first time we actually see them go through a film and like identify these subcultures within high school groups, which is super fascinating to me going back to look at it and then realizing like, This is literally the same thing in every single high school all across America. It does not matter where you live, where you grew up. Everybody, every high school has like these cliques and these subgroups and so on and so forth. Like, wow. And then you see it like now in other movies. You saw it in Legally Blonde. You saw it in uh, Mean Girls. Yeah. And the the groups are funny. Like she talks about the Persian mafia. Do you have to have a BMW to join? You have to. (laughs) You have to. Then there's the most popular boys, right? You've got your, your Murray. You've got your Elton. And those are the only acceptable high school boys to date. Yeah. 
So Dion thinks Ty is nice. And this is when Cher squeals in delight. Project. <laughs> I squeal project and I do that little happy clap. Yes. Ty goes to the cafeteria. She meets Travis Birkenstock. Don't you love that his last name is Birkenstock? It's Birkenstock. And you know how long it took me to realize that his last name is Birkenstock? And then I was like, oh, you guys are so smart with the word play. So smart. So he's a stoner skater and they begin talking and actually Seth Green and Owen Wilson both audition for the role of Travis. I could see both of them. I could totally that. see both of them. Yeah. Like Owen Wilson for sure. For like- sure. But uh, Travis is played by Brecklin Meyer. They hit it off, you know, Ty and Travis, there's some chemistry there between them. And Ty comes back to the girls and she's like, I met this guy. He's really cute. And he offered me some smoke. And Cher and Dion do not approve, Amber. Do not approve. Cher says, it is one thing to spark up a doobie and get laced at parties, but it is quite another to be fried all day. And she tells her also, you know, the Lodies hang out over there on the grassy knoll. And she says, no respectable girl actually dates them. Now, Amber, as a champion of the cannabis industry, who's working to normalize its use among women and in mothers in particular, what are your thoughts about this? So it's funny to me because I laugh so hard. I was not an advocate in high school. I was very much like Sharon Dion, like, because we grew up in the dare era. So it was very much like, no, we don't do that. Like, that's not acceptable. And then getting older, I realized, okay, she's actually just being smart in regard to like, hey, this is not a thing that we do during the day and at school, which makes total sense. It's not safe. It's not smart. You could get arrested. There are so many things, and especially in 1995, it wasn't legal. There's all these other things. And as a parent, obviously, I'm like, yes, good job, Cher. <laughs> like, like your frontal lobe is developing. You're still in high school. Yes, yes. Obviously, you know, we know kids are going to spark up a doobie at a party and get laced or whatnot. But I think it was so important, one, to make the distinction between recreational use and actual daytime medication. But I also have to laugh at it to a certain extent because it does feed into the whole stoner stereotype. And as somebody who, you know, directed Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Right. Things where you have a whole character who is just a stoner. Like that's his whole MO. Exactly. I think, yeah, you have to have those people, but it also shows the variety of the people that you meet and work with and talk to in high school. Right. But as an advocate, I obviously look at it and as somebody who talks to both moms and their kids about it, like, okay, so these are how you have these conversations with your kids. It just makes me laugh because I distinctly remember using that line, like, it is perfectly fine to spark up a doobie at a party, get laced. Because, you know, in a few scenes later, they are at a party. That's exactly and they what do. they do. Yeah, that's exactly what they do. And you see it and you're just like, oh, okay. They also didn't go into it in a negative connotation as like, we don't, this is just a terrible, terrible thing. It was just basically like, well, no respectable girl dates one. So on the one hand, it's like, "Mm, you're pigeonholing people into a certain category because Mm -hmm. you are judging them. But it also shows that like, I think when we see the whole rest of the movie, the full arcs of the characters and we learn how they come full circle, you're like, oh, it actually makes sense in the long run where it starts. It's still one of my favorite lines and moments where I laugh so hard, especially me now where I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, 
Right. I mean, Amber, you were featured in the 420 issue of Canna Curious magazine. Yeah. You have an Instagram for the Canna Curious called Carpools 2, the number two, Canna Mom. And this is for Canna Curious folks. And the focus is on normalizing cannabis consumption for moms and letting go of the stigmas attached to that. Can you tell me a little bit about that and what the response to that has been? So it's always been interesting. I mean, I started, you know, from carpools to cocktails, you've known me for a really long time. So (laughs) I've been from carpools to cocktails for over a decade. And it's because it was more socially acceptable to be a cocktail mom than it was to be a cannabis mom. Absolutely. But I've always shared with those that were closest to me how I consume and how cannabis helps me and how it actually sort of saved me postpartum. And I've always had that component. And it's really been interesting to get more into it and more active and more engaged. And I always have always had moms either text me or email me and ask me like very quietly, like, okay, can you tell me a little bit more? Or like, what can I do? I'm tired of this. I had a whole bottle of wine last night and I don't remember anything. Mm. And I'm like, okay. And without judgment, because I have been there, I've had friends who've been there. So for me, it's been really important to advocate and educate at the same time. And also let people know that one, it does not make you a bad mom. Um, Moms who smoke weed are not bad moms. We're actually really great moms, but it's definitely been very much a fun experience to share not only my story, but also like get to know other women and their stories and see how I can actually help them and encourage them. I host a monthly can of kick it on my from carpools to cocktails page where we talk about all things can of curious products, what I'm loving, what people are curious about. I had one episode, a really, really great episode might be one of my favorites on how to like manage your high. And that's really what I focus on is actual education and learning about not just what you're ingesting, how it's going to affect you, but then also like how to talk to your kids Mm. if that's a thing that you're concerned about, because it is something that we need to talk to our kids about. You know, she says we don't do this at school. Yeah, because you guys are young. Your frontal lobe is not developed. I do have a 19 year old. I talk to her and her friends. I gave I give them all my drinking and drug speech. Mm -hmm. They are not thrilled about it, but they all get it. And now they know like they can come to Miss Amber's house and they can ask me questions and I will answer them. Honestly, I'm still a parent first. You guys should not be doing this, but I'm also going to give you the facts and the knowledge to know if your friend is overdosing, what to do. If your friend is, you feel like, you know, your friend is maybe pushing it a little too hard, how to approach them. I see. Because they, we don't teach them how to have these conversations. We teach them drugs are bad. Don't do it. Right. And so it's not really centered around the real challenges. So these episodes, these conversations that you have, this is all on Instagram? Yeah. So I do an IGTV for the can of curious. I do the can of kick it. It is usually twice a month. I'll pick a topic or people can ask, submit questions if they want to know certain things and I'll just answer them. I usually have three or four brands and products that I showcase. The thing about it, what I've learned is people have no idea like how to consume beyond what they've seen in the movies. They see either like you're smoking with a pipe and there's so many ways to medicate yourself. And I use it for medicinal purposes. So I actually just posted something um, over the past, over this weekend about like terpenes and cannabinoids and all of the sciencey stuff that we were not taught about cannabis. It's all, it was always very much like it's weed. Weed is bad. And there's no medicinal value. And then you start, 
you grow up and you do the research and which I hate right now because I'm doing my own research. Okay. But like, I'm actually doing the research and reading these books and learning so much information. And I'm like nerding out on the science of it. And I forgot how much I love science and like learning all of these different effects and how the different cannabinoids affect your body and these entourage effects. And then I get to start to have these conversations, but it's so fascinating to me how this one line in this movie was like, not quite the cornerstone of it, but it makes such a valid point and it shapes a certain character arc for those two, for both Travis and Ty and like not to be these stoner character stereotypes. Right. And I do my best to combat all of those stereotypes, but while also like kind of giving into the stereotypes and being like, yeah, it is okay to be like, yeah, I'm, you know, this is who I am. I'm absolute cannamom. Like I love it. I enjoy it. It helps me in so many ways. And I love talking to other moms and other women about it and breaking that stigma down. And then also like helping them figure out what works for them. So carpools to cannamom on Instagram is really a place that people can go to learn more about it. They can connect with you, Amber. There's community there. Yes. And they can ask questions and not feel dumb. No judgment. Nothing is dumb. If you have someone that you trust that you can ask, then that's what I want to be. And it's also because we live in the state of California with the legalization of marijuana in the state. Mm -hmm. For someone who is curious, walking into a shop for the first time. Oh, it's intimidating. It's like going into Sephora for the first time (laughs) and you're looking for, you're like, I just need a mascara. Like if you're a Maybelline Great Lash girl and you go to Sephora and you're like, I just need a mascara and they're going to be like, hi, so do you want curling and lengthening? Do you want this and that? And you're like, it's a lot. So before they ever step foot into a dispensary, if they're curious, they can go to your space and they can find Mm -hmm. out more information and learn about it. Yes. Let me be like your can of concierge. And if I don't have that answers, I can point you in the right direction, at least. You guys, if you're can of curious, go check out Carpools 2, the number two, Canamom on Instagram. And of course, we will link to all of this in the show notes. Thank you. I love it so much. (laughs) Circling back to the film, this is when Cher sells Ty on the makeover. Now, I say all the time on this pod how much I love a montage, but Dr. Julia Wagner, a film studies lecturer, told BBC Culture that it's the sort of scene that appeals to audiences because it panders to our aspirational appetite. She said, the makeup, clothes, and hairstyles are easy to come by and pretty much effortless. The girl sits while other people fuss around her. Movie makeovers play out a wish fulfillment that we can all, with just a little expertise, transform into a beautiful, confident creature. That is so true. Because that's literally, every time I see it, I'm like, ah. I love a movie montage with a makeover scene where everybody's like fussing and then they do the reveal and the big reveal. And you know, Amber, you're the perfect person to talk to about this because you're a makeup artist. You've done professional personal styling. (laughs) I'm like, I've done all these things. You've done all the things. Like, no wonder this is your favorite movie. Like, there's elements of you throughout this film. So, my question to you was have you ever overhauled like your entire image? I did a whole like personal, I'm going to become a whole new person. I remember distinctly, it was 2003 or 2004. Okay. One of those. But I distinctly remember like, okay, I am a mom now 
and I'm like a semi-professional and I kind of like need to look like it. That weird transition where you're like not a real adult, you don't feel like, but like I also had a child. So what did that look like? It looked like me going to Express and like <laughs> always Express. Always Express. And buying like full on like like I remember I had these nine West shoes and they might be like kitten heels, but they were like slingbacks. And I was in love with them and would wear them with my dark boot cut jeans nice. and like a faux, like not the blazer, but like the fake blazer jacket. You remember that was like the cottony one. Yes. Slightly cropped and wear it with like my day to night tank where it's got a little bit of lace showing, but it's just enough. With a statement necklace. Yes. With the statement necklace. I mean, hell yeah. Cute earrings and like my perfect make, like that's what it looks like. And I was like, no, I am a polished chic person. That is not who I was at all. Like (laughs) y'all. But I remember being like, this is going to be like my transformation because I have seen so many movie montages where there's this makeover thing. You keep waiting for that moment for like people to recognize the new you though. (laughs) Like, (gasps) it's interesting because it's the new you, but what you really want is the you you've always been to be fully realized and celebrated. That's it. That's all that it is. But we think that we need to reinvent ourselves or to remake us in this whatever image so that people are suddenly pleased with us. Yes. So Josh overhears, you know, Cher talking to Ty, like, we need to improve our bodies. We need to work out, not sporadically, and, you know, reading and all of this. And Josh is just like, what are you doing, Cher? And Cher's like, I am helping this girl. Like Cher thinks that she is really, like she's doing the Lord's work here, Amber. She is like helping her navigate the pitfalls of high school. She's basically like, she could be you, Josh. But- (laughs) I'm helping her to be well-dressed and popular. So. Right. She probably wanted to make over Josh at some point and he wasn't having it. Oh, you it. know she totally did. Because <laughs> he even says, he's like, yes, now that you've exposed her to the world of bare midriffs. And right. her being like, yeah. <laughs> her life has forever changed. So at school, Ty gets invited to the Val party, the party in the Valley. When Ty asks if they think that Travis will be there, they're like, Ty, we're telling you, you should be with Elton the rich and super popular kid at school who Cher believes is a suitable match for Ty. They couldn't be a worse match. Literally, Elton is the worst. The actual worst match. In the next scene, Cher is taking pictures of her friends. She gets Elton to put his arm around Ty. Oh my God. Wait, wait a minute. Time out. Amber's pippy long stocking hair. Just got to take a moment. Amber's hair. It's like, it's not even like, just out. It's full on bumped up. Pippi long stuff. It is. Like, there have to be wires in those braids to get wires. them all crazy. <laughs> and it's like, it's a Tuesday for her. Let's assume first period starts at 8 a.m. Amber would have to get up at like freaking four o'clock in the morning. She would have to have help, help to do that. We didn't have bumpets back then. So how did she get her hair to This is pre-bump it, friends. Yes, I do not know. She looks so absolutely crazy. Cher goes and takes pictures of Ty by herself and Elton comes up and he's like, oh, hey, yeah. Why don't you get me a copy of that picture? Which you have to love, like looking back at it, it's like, oh my God, y'all read the room. Exactly. Read the room. So we find out that Elton has taped Ty's picture in his locker. So this, this is really happening, Amber. 
her matchmaking skills are unparalleled. She's good. Yeah. And she's like, I'm, this is, this is my life now. Like, this is what I do. So this is when the kids decide to go to the Val party. When Dion and Murray are fighting in the car about how to get to the party with the Thomas brothers guy. Every time I look at that and she's like, there's only numbers at the top. I'm like, oh my God, I am triggered. I remember, you remember the stress of the Thomas guy? Girl, before I was able to get my license and I was hot to get it. My stepdad was like, you are not allowed to get your license until you can read a Thomas Brothers guide. It was very important to him that I knew how to do it. And it was so complicated. We didn't have MapQuest. We didn't have any Google directions. Oh my gosh. So at the Val party, Cher is wearing that like brocade jacket with the like boa type feathered collar. It's an Alaya. That sexy red Alaya dress. Did you know Cher had 64 costume changes in this film? I believe it. Silverstone told Vogue, I left every fitting thinking, oh my God, this is hell. I just stand there for hours and let them dress me up like a doll, but I didn't quite get it. Everyone was always touching me and I was just so over it. Every day I'd get frustrated thinking, why is there so much fuss around these stupid clothes? Then I saw it. I was like, oh my God, that's why. Because it's brilliant. Yeah. Just genius. The outfits are also a secondary characters. Oh my God, that's such a good point. Like how in, you know, in Sex in the City, they always talked about New York was like the fifth character or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I never got that until I got older. And then I'm like, now I understand it. And I understand how fashion actually makes a film. And in this particular film, like the outfits are absolutely secondary characters. They tell you everything you need to know about the character that you're engaging with in that moment. The fact that she's at a high school party in the flipping valley. Where somebody is like skateboarding off of a ramp in the house, but like she's in this full feather boa satin dress situation. And then like Murray's in jeans and a sweatshirt. Exactly. Are we even at the same event? Like, what are we doing? It's so true. I mean, even like Josh's clothes, like I think at some point he's wearing like an Amnesty International t-shirt. Like the clothes really are so important to what we know about the characters. Oh, absolutely. This is when they play that game of suck and blow and Elton kisses her. Yeah. And oh God, this is another one that I just love. Dion catches Murray getting his head shaved. He shaved his head. What am I going to do with you now? Right before yearbook pictures, I'm calling your mother. (laughs) Because I'm keeping it real. I'm keeping it real because I'm keeping it real. (gasps) He made it real. I have so many questions for Murray and his <laughs> But like, how are you at a random party and decide, yes, I'm going to go in these people's bathroom and shave my head? I know. What am I going to tell my grandchildren? I love it so much. This is when everyone's dancing. Elton is not a good dancer. <laughs> Cher keeps trying to get Ty hooked up with Elton. This is when they're dancing to Coolio's Rolling with the Homies. Rolling with with the the Homies. Yes. And Ty gets hit in the head with shoe. She just (laughs) right in the head. And Elton scoops her up, takes her into the kitchen to put an ice pack on her head. And he's really sweet to her. And poor Travis wants to like help out. And she was like, get away from here. I remember she goes, Ty would have wanted you to enjoy the party. Like she died. <laughs> oh my God. And this is when Cher's dad calls and is like, I want you to walk in the door in 20 minutes. And I'm like, sir, 
what part of the valley have you been in? No. Are when he calls kidding? her and he's like, where are you, Kuwait? Kuwait. <laughs> Cher's got to go. And Elton insists on taking her home. And this is when he's in the car with her and he's singing the cranberries away. Oh, Elton. (laughs) Oh, my God. Elton admits his feelings to her and he goes to kiss her and she pushes him away, you know, as if. And he tries again and she gets mad and she gets out of the car so dramatically when she's like, "Ah!" and he's like, get back in the car. And she's like, no. And he's like, "Okay, fine. And he drives away. I was like, really, Elton? You're a dick. And then you can't be friends with somebody after that. Like, you left me stranded in the valley. In a parking lot, which she is then robbed at gunpoint. The robber's like, get on the ground. She's like, but this isn't a lion. It's a totally important designer. He's like, I will totally shoot you. (laughs) (laughs) Because who else is that vapid to be like, but this is a designer outfit. Like I can't get it. There's literally a gun in your face. I know this totally reminded me of that episode of sex in the city. When Carrie gets robbed for her Her shoes shoes. and she's crying and doesn't want to give up her shoes. It's the same genius. Totally. So Cher is forced to call Josh from a payphone for a ride. And Cher is so stressed. She doesn't know what to do about Ty. Ty is just devastated that Elton isn't interested in her. And so in an effort to cheer her up, the gals ditch 7th and 8th and go to the mall for a calorie fest and to see the new Christian Slater. Okay, so now we're at the mall restaurant and Dion reveals that Cher is hymenally challenged. Hilarious. Yes, I still use that phrase. I love that phrase. I mean, it's so good. It's so good. And Cher's like, you see how picky I am about my shoes and they only go on my feet. Same girl, same. So we learn that Dion is also hymenally challenged and Cher wants to find someone else for Ty. But when the debonair Christian arrives at school, Cher's like, oh, maybe it's okay to date a high school boy if it's Christian. Oh, Christian. Yes. Christian is played by Justin Walker. Jamie Walters auditioned for the role, as did Paul Rudd. (laughs) Actually, I read an interview with Paul Rudd where he said, I thought it was really cool to play a gay character when they told me no then I was like okay I want to play Murray and they're like Murray is black (laughs) and he was like oh I just really liked his character (laughs) no Paul Rudd needed to stick with Josh yeah he's perfect as Josh like it's iconic so Cher is into Christian and she oh my god this is one of my favorite looks of hers honestly when she's wearing that baby doll and the pink tank top yes. and the white patent leather Mary Janes I had those shoes I loved them so much They're adorable To reel him in she concocts a plan you know she sends herself flowers and chocolate being sure to draw attention to her mouth She shows skin because it reminds boys of getting naked and that makes them think about sex Duh. <laughs> She invites him to a party. And when Christian arrives to pick her up, he is way too cool for school. Like he's so disrespectful to her dad. Josh hates him immediately. Oh, that scene is still one of my favorites too. Cause even when she comes down and they're like, you're going to let her go out like that. And she's, he's like, you're you're not putting anything on. She's like, yeah. And then she puts on a sheer shirt. (laughs) 
He's like, you call that a dress? She's like, it's a Calvin Klein. Like, he's like, no, I'm going to put something over it. And it's a sheer shirt. It's so good. So they end up at a party. The Mighty Mighty Boss Tones are playing. Cher and Christian dance. Ty arrives in her overalls and feels really out of place. Poor Ty. Ty. Yeah. Christian is ignoring every girl, which makes Cher think that like, well, he clearly only has eyes for me. We even see him flirting with the bartender. That's my favorite is like, you can make out what they're saying. Oh yeah. But he's like, what am I going to do with that? And he's like, I know. He's like, But that's also brilliant because this was high school. They were not talking about this in high school. Like this was not addressed, but it's, it's so brilliant how they showed this actively gay character without taking away from any machismo or making it into a stereotypical trope, but they really just gave him an actual personality and arc and just be like, Hey, this is him just being him and her just being clueless and oblivious. Like he's cute. We'll see. I don't know. And he was cute. He had great style. He had all the confidence in the world. He was attentive to her. So, I mean, you can see how it would happen. I loved Christian's character. Like just, he was so cool. Josh arrives at the party and he is so sweet. Like he's keeping an eye on Cher. He's engaging with poor Ty who sees Elton with Amber in her like tiara and pink tutu skirt. Like what the hell? What does she wear? I know. And this is when Cher calls her a full on Monet. Monet. Still use that phrase to this day. (laughs) At the end of the night, Josh takes the girls home. This is when we cut to Cher and Josh at home hanging out watching Ren and Stimpy who are way existential way existential (laughs) she's just so comfortable and wholesome right like she's not trying to put on a show because she's just with Josh she can be her true self Christian and Cher make a plan for him to come over so they can watch movies this is a big deal because they're going to be alone and Cher calls in for reinforcements she's gonna do it she's gonna have the sex yeah but she needs a lighting specialist first. <laughs> they have to design a lighting concept. There are costume decisions to be made. So Christian comes over and he brings Sporadicus and some like it hot. Because he's got a thing for Tony Curtis. <laughs> he's got a thing for Tony Curtis because that's not suspicious. Yes. So they're watching movies on her bed and she's trying to play footsie and he's just not interested. And he realizes like, oh shit, she's into me. And yeah, I, I, I think I better go. She's confused and she thinks something is wrong with her. The next day, Cher's in the car with Murray and Dion and Dion is driving. This is the scene where she accidentally gets on the freeway. Oh my God. The freeway is very scary. (laughs) And the reason that scene is so great is because we can all totally relate to that. And the best part is they're literally just on the on-ramp and getting right off. Like there's not, they don't even make, she doesn't even make it into the full lane. It's literally that one exit in and getting off. There is so much screaming. It's, it's so, so dramatic. Screaming. You know, Dion's like, I we almost died. And, you know, she and Murray, like he comforts her. And then, of course, her virginity was non-existent after that. Of course. Of course. But this is when Murray tells Cher, like, Christian is gay. Yes. Cher, like, what were you thinking? But it's funny because he does that whole monologue where he talks about he's a something, something Oscar Wilde reading 
a friend of Dorothy or whatever. Right. And then he said, he literally explicit says he's gay, but they, he says it so fast. You don't catch it the very first few times you hear it. Oh. All you hear is he's a da 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 I see. And then he's like, he's gay. It was inferred. Right. But it was never, people were like, but they didn't say it. Like, yeah, actually they do explicitly say that he's gay. It's just they, his cadence and the way that he says it, it's so fast. You don't catch it the first time. Took me a minute. And, you know, the words he uses to describe in the phrasing, like, oh, it's yeah. problematic now. But yeah, I didn't know what a friend of Dorothy was. I mean, I, I got what he was trying to say ultimately, but yeah, he's like, Cher, you're crazy. He's gay. It's not you. <laughs> yeah. And so, oh my God, she was totally bugging. We're now at the mall. Cher is shopping with Christian. They're like besties. They're really good friends. She realizes there can't be anything romantic between them. But Ty gets dipped over the railing of oh the second God. story of the mall by those, you know, asshole boys she was talking to. The random Barneys. The random Barneys. But, you know, this, this life-changing experience, her brush with death, catapults her in the social scale. Like she is now the most popular girl in school. Everyone wants to hear about her brush with death. And Cher is like, guys, when I was like robbed at gunpoint and they're like, shh, 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 shh. you were saying. <laughs> right. Now Ty is so popular. She doesn't even really have time for Cher anymore. And her personality is really kind of sucky. Yeah. So Cher ends up failing her driving test miserably She's so upset. She arrives home so defeated and Ty and Josh are hanging out and Ty is ready to forget about Elton. She found someone else. She's now in love with Josh and Cher does not like this idea. She's like, um, you guys aren't right for each other. And Ty is super offended by that. This is when Ty says, why am I even listening to you? You're a virgin who can't drive. So I said that to my best friend. It's awful to this day. And like, like, I like you meant it like, oh, like I said it, said it like you said it like Ty said it. I said it in Carl's Jr. (laughs) to her and hurt her feelings so bad. Like, I have apologized for this. Like, we're 42. (laughs) I have apologized. Are you still apologizing for this? I literally am like, it was actually a couple years ago. I was like, you know what? I was like, that was a really dick move of me. Like, it was a joke ish, but it was also very serious ish. But like. It was a dick thing to say. And I'm like, and I'm sorry, because that was really, really wrong. (laughs) I literally was like, you're a virgin who can't drive. I mean, it was true, though. Like, all of it was true. It was valid, but it was just. Over your Western bacon cheeseburgers. Over my Western bacon cheeseburgers. Wow. And that's exactly what we were eating, too. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it was. Of course. Is there anything else? What else do you get across? Nothing. Right. So we hear Cher's voiceover, like, what did I do? I created some sort of monster. And at this point, Ty is dressed exactly like her. I'm talking like the tweed jacket, like the little suit number. Yes, the whole outfit. Yeah, it was like pink. Oh, yeah. BBC Culture said, Ty's confidence certainly improves as she conforms to this idealized image. But the more Cher teaches her how to dress, how to speak, how to date, the uglier her personality becomes. Our statuesque lead has created a shallow monster and lost control of her. Thus, this vapid version of her friend holds a mirror up to our protagonist and highlights the flaws in her own superficial outlook, which is based on the assumption that everyone should fit into her world and look the part too. Soon enough, the rose-colored glasses come off and Cher's perspective shifts. I love that, actually. 
Yeah. And and this is when she decides to go shopping again to clear her head. <laughs> this is my favorite. She's having a whole existential crisis. And then is the, oh, do they have that in my size? I'm like, this is me as a shopper too. Like I was that kid. Like I'm going to go to the mall and clear my head and do that. Oh, that's cute. Right. This is when Cher says, everything I do is wrong. It all boiled down to one inevitable conclusion. I was just totally clueless. So for the first time, Cher admits she doesn't have the answers. So weird. So strange. She's like, why am I like freaking out so much that Ty likes Josh? He's not even cute in a conventional way. And then we see scenes from her memory of him being adorable. And she's like, well, he is kind of a Baldwin, which I still use. Still kind of a Baldwin. Oh, that's such like a time period of. (laughs) I don't sit around thinking about the Baldwin brothers anymore, but I really did in the 90s. We all had a favorite Baldwin. Everybody was like, yeah, this is a Baldwin. So she's like, Josh needs someone with imagination. Someone to take care of him. Someone to laugh at his jokes. Oh my God, I'm in love with Josh. And then the fountain lights. <laughs> uh, it's the equivalent of the light bulb, it's right? The total it's light, light bulb, bulb moment. moment. <laughs> yeah, for sure. She decides she needs to make over her soul. Oh, and my question bad. to you was, do you think that's coming from a genuine place within her? Or do you think because Josh is the quote, do-gooder type, she feels like she needs to change for him? Or is it a little bit of both? Both. I fully feel like it's both. It's like that, okay, maybe I am a little vapid and clearly seeing Ty become this person has like put a mirror on like, oh, but also at that age, you're not quite ready to address all of those things. So <laughs> that's a I, lot of reckoning. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot. Like, mm. but also maybe if I do this, this guy that I definitely like that is very into these things will see that I have changed and will then want to be more interested in me. So I feel like it's a little bit of both, but it is definitely interesting to see how like teenagers, that's something that we did. And I mean, even 20 somethings, we still do where it's like, okay, if I'm going to make over my soul, well, maybe if I do just a little bit of these things, this person will see. Mm-hmm. And somehow you gain like recognition or attention for like positive things. Like, yes. I think maybe the impetus to her deciding to make over her soul had to do with Josh. But I think once she started down that path of becoming, you know, the captain of the Pismo Beach Relief Fund, <laughs> I think once she was in it and she was seeing like the genuine good that she was doing. I think that stuff is really inspiring. I think it snowballs. And I think she was like, I want to do more of that. I like this feeling. I like helping out. I like not being maybe so focused on myself. So even if, you know, the reason behind it was to get Josh's attention, I think in the end, it really did fundamentally change her. Oh, absolutely. We see her later at Travis's skateboarding competition. You know, Travis is now in a 12-step program, Amber. (laughs) He's given up the chronic shit, as he calls it. Um, I'm in a program. It's got these steps. <laughs> She's like, are there 12? Yeah. How'd you know? Lucky gets. So when they're at the skating competition, this is when we see Ty. And she's dressed like Ty would dress. Like, yes. like a more polished version of her original self. It's still very shiny and like very contemporary casuals, but very Ty version. Yes. And they apologize to each other and they're friends again. And Cher realizes, you know what? Travis is a good match for Ty. Yes. So this is when Cher and Josh are 
helping on her father's big case. And apparently she sorted the August 28th files wrong or something. God forbid, Amber. She marked them for the September 9th phone calls or some (laughs) nonsense. And it was like the big, every time I see that scene, I get so irritated at the other lawyer. I'm like, it's not that hard, dude. Like all you really have to do is go through them. He was so rude to her. He called her like an idiot. Josh comes to her defense and she's so upset. She's like, I messed up my dad's case. And Josh is like, no, that guy's an asshole. You're wonderful. You're smart. You're young and you're beautiful. And this is when she reveals that she cares about him too. And they have their kiss, Amber. It's a beautiful moment on the stairs at their house. (laughs) This is when we pan to a wedding. But oh my God, you guys, everybody relax. It's not hers as if she's only 16. And this is California, not Kentucky. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So Miss Geist and Mr. Hall are getting married and Cher is in the wedding party and Josh is her date. The girls talk about their dream weddings and it's worth mentioning Dion wants a sailor dress, but like a gown. sailor motif. Yes. (laughs) Like she has a whole thing. That is might be my favorite part. Guys, like I want something very floral. No. I have like a whole sailor motif, but like, not like a dress, but like a sailor dress, but like a gown. Like, I'm like, oh my God. Everybody loves a theme, Amber. Everybody loves a theme. So the studios, when it came to the script, were sort of like, is it weird that the stepbrother or former stepbrother and stepsister end up in a relationship? They were siblings. We feel a little bit like some kind of way about this. And Amy Heckerling said, you know what, you guys, my grandparents were stepbrother and stepsister. Her grandparents were teenagers when the parents married and they ended up together. And so Heckerling was like, this is not weird. Like they're not blood related. They were teenagers when they met. There's actually been a lot of conversation about that in the last years. I saw somebody actually posted on Twitter was like, can we just talk about how weird that is? And I'm like, but y'all, they're not siblings. They weren't kids together. Like your mom married my dad for a couple of years and then they divorce. If that, if that Josh is like, I really don't like stepdad number five or whatever. (laughs) So mom's been busy. Right. Like if anything to me, it was like, okay, Josh is in college and she's only 16. If anything, that's a little more problematic in my mind. Right. And that's because that was the other argument. People were like, well, let's talk about the fact that she was only 16. And I was like, well, we can talk about that. And then let's also talk about the fact that how many of us have been married or dating people who are five plus years older than us. Yeah. So this leads me to ask you, where do you think the characters ended up? Where do you think Cher ended up? I feel like Cher owns a Pilates studio. Oh, I love and, it. <laughs> and like, she's now evolved into like the wellness type of like Beverly Hills type mom, where she's like Pilates lady. And she's very goopy. She is like, she's now Gwyneth. Like, that's literally who she's transformed into. Okay. What about Dion? I feel like Dion is definitely a socialite and a lady who lunches. Okay. I don't think she has kids. I feel like she's very, like, if she's not a lady who lunches, she's like a power PR person. Like, she is the connector. She knows who is who and who's what's what. Like, how she was in high school, very behind the scenes kind of, but definitely knowing what's going on. Like, I feel like that's who she is. I like that for Dion. I think for Cher, she grew up to be Elle Woods. 
I could definitely see that. I feel like maybe both though, too. Like, yeah, maybe both could go both ways. Like she probably had that Elwood stint where like, yeah, I'm powerhouse. I'm going to do this. And then it's like, maybe she had kids and was like, well, now I'm going to re channels energy into something else to like, and maybe she mom. was one of the few people on earth who actually achieved some sort of work-life balance. <laughs> She's got nannies. That's why. Oh yeah. She's got some help. What about Ty? (sighs) She's the friend that travels. That's like never (gasps) home. She's the traveler. Maybe she owns a pottery studio. Yeah. Like she's that person that's like, maybe has a home base in like New Mexico someplace or like Sedona. Sedona. I was just going to say Sedona. Super like kind of artsy fartsy, but like, but is never at home. Yeah. Yes. I love it. So you and I touched on the language of this film and how absolutely quotable it is and how we use it all the time in our everyday lives. Heckerling told Town and Country, the one thing I love in movies is the language. In My Fair Lady, what you say defines everything about you, how much money you have, where you grew up, everything. I wanted to incorporate that in a goofy way and also mix it up. I wanted white kids to be using words they learned from rap artists, mm-hmm. black kids to be speaking Yiddish, a young person talking like he's a rat packer, or a girl whose father is a lawyer using legal terms. We could have fun with that. It's the best because it is, it is, I think, one of those films and where we really start to see that lexicon grow. Yes. And actually attribute the fact that, yeah, kids do actually talk like this. Like all of my friends, we had wicked vocabularies, but we also used slang. You know, we grew up in the 90s, so we grew up with the Snoop Dogs and the Dr. Dre's, and we had all this rap vernacular that, even in my very suburban life, was not really applicable, but I'm still using it, like, yeah. Well, I mean, you call yourself a suburban gangster. Yeah, like, I am very, very suburban, but, like, I grew up with the gangster culture, and that's Uh what I have incorporated and embodied, so you hear that in my everyday vernacular, and it was like, it's been like that since high school, but yes, when she said that about Ren and Stimpy, oh, I'm still in that. From now on out, Ren and Stimpy are existential. But just file it away. Exactly. I feel like there's a little bit of every single character in all of us. Like we are a little bit Amber where we're, there's that kooky side where we're just kind of like, oh yeah, I kind of want to wear whatever today. Right. And then there's the Cher and the Dion. So I'm like, this language is completely like, it is existential. Like it changed everything for me. And the fact that we still use it, you know, 20 some years later, we're still talking about it. We still love it. Silverstone looked back on the legacy of the film and she told Vogue, I'm always amazed at the longevity of Clueless. It's incredible that so many people love this film and not only continue to love it, but continue to rediscover it. I don't know how to explain why or what made Clueless what it was, but I know that it happened and I know people continue to love it and it never gets old. So that's the good news. People always say, oh, you must be so sick of it, but what's there to be sick of? People liking the movie you're in, it truly doesn't get better. I love that she said that because she's a hundred percent right. And I think she actually did something last year where it's like, she put on the same outfit, the yellow outfit, oh. like at her house. And I think it's her son that comes up and like tries to hug her and she's full on. Oh, as, as and you're like, yes, 20 plus years later, this is still my movie. They better not ever, ever remake this film. I will boycott. I will literally be that person. Like, no. You cannot, like some stuff just doesn't need to be remade. I don't think we need to go revisit and remake every single thing from the 80s and 90s and like put a 21st century spin on it. Clues feels literally like a time capsule. In the most obvious, beautiful way. 
it's one that we can like keep opening and revisiting. Like, oh, okay, this is a really, really good time capsule. Like, oh, it's not dated in that sense of where you're like, oh, wow, this was like 900 years ago. Right. You're like, oh, wow, the fashion is really like old. And then you go to the mall now and you're like, ah, uh, yes. And it's still there at Forever 21. I don't know. So wild. And I mean, they really tried to milk the Clueless franchise for a while, you know, there was the TV show yeah, and Heckerling right. was involved in it. It ran for three seasons. I mean, you talk about all these years later in 2018, Donatella Versace's fall collection mm-hmm. brought back. I remember that. Yes. The clueless inspired plaid. And everybody was like, oh, I know this because it feels so familiar. And you're like, wait, this is like comforting. Like, oh, yes. And even a few years before that, Iggy Azalea's fancy. The music video. She, yeah, it was a total nod. And you, I saw you holding it, Amber, in 2015. The book, As If, An Oral History of Clueless, came out and it has a bunch of exclusive interviews in it. Did you read it? I did. I skimmed through it. So I got it when I worked at BuzzFeed because it was on the table and it was like free books. And I was like, no, nah, it's Clueless. <laughs> in 2018, there was a musical, Clueless the Musical, in New York. It was written by Heckerling. Hilarious. Yeah. And in 2019, CBS announced that they were adapting the film into a drama series. Okay. This is how the plot was described. Amber, I need your thoughts on this. Quote, a baby pink and bisexual blue tinted tiny sunglass wearing oat milk latte and Adderall fueled look. That's a lot of words. And what happens when the high school queen bee share disappears and her lifelong number two Dion steps into Cher's vacant Air Jordans. First of all, Cher would not be wearing Air Jordans. Air Jordans. Like, I mean, like in 2020, this idea was moved to Peacock, but then they decided not to move forward with it. It might be redeveloped. I'm hoping that it just goes away. Just die. Just let it die. I don't like Like, it. No. And of course, we have to touch on the fact that Brittany Murphy passed away in December 2009 at the age of 32. She died of pneumonia and combined drug intoxication. And strangely, her husband, Simon Monjack, died of the same cause like Like months later. Yeah, it was weird. It was super weird. It's still weird. And Silverstone said she always felt connected to Murphy. And she said, I loved working with her. She was talented, so warm, and so sweet. It's very sad. What a talent she was. She was so talented. She did so many films back to back. And like every single one of those films, like she just, she shines. She does. There's no denying like her ability to act and her talent. And her singing. She had an incredible voice. Nobody knew that she could sing like that until like she was, what was it? What Happy was Feet. Thank you. I don't know. She was so iconic for this role. And it was just such a standout and breakout role for her that to this day, like you cannot think of Clueless without seeing the three of them in plaid automatically. And it's very like, yes, 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 yes. yes, This is it. It's so good. And when I think about Cher and her gang and where Cher is now, she's been a style icon. Style is so personal. And Clueless always gave me the ability to be like, you know what? I love this, but I'm going to make it the way that I like it and what works for me. Amber, we didn't have that amazing rotating closet like Cher did. Cher had her software. We don't have that. We still don't have that. But what we do have is 
Amber Dorsey and her amazing flat lay skills. And this is my segue (laughs) into elevated flat lays. Yeah. So you are a flat lay specialist. I am. Owner of elevated flat lays. I would like you to tell our listeners a little bit about what flat lays are, because some folks just might not know. I think they see them all the time and they, they don't know what they're called. So a flat lay, it can be anything. There's two different varieties. There's really what we call the overhead shot and the vignette style. Okay. It's basically taking a different angle at a product. You want to have a flat overhead view, but it gives you a depth that allows you to see the product both in real time and in real life. So if it's a t-shirt or an outfit, that's great that somebody is showing you a cute t-shirt. Okay, well, how am I going to style it? If I drop it into a flat lay and you can actually see this t-shirt paired with a pair of jeans, paired with shoes and earrings and sunglasses, then you're like, oh, now I see how this works in my life. Whether it is a book, which is also one of my favorite things to shoot because people are like, how do you make a book look interesting other than just like it's a book? Like, well, you have to add in certain props. And how do you sell this book? What do you do when you read a book? You have coffee or you have a snack or you have these things. So it's really about highlighting a product and making it more relatable to the consumer and the ultimate end user so that they can see themselves using it in a real life and practical way. And I love it so much because I get to do both overhead style shots and then very much vignette lifestyle shots, which is like what you'll see, like where it looks like a bathroom setup. And it's actually like, it is really just me shooting on my kitchen table, (laughs) but like it's done in a matter. So you have no idea if it's my actual bathroom. I mean, I've had girlfriends who were like, this is great. Where'd you get that table? And I'm like, that, 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 that's cardboard y'all. Like that's, (laughs) that's not an actual table. It just looks like it. I just have enough back. Right. So these are the images then used by brands for marketing marketing. You'll see them in magazines. You will see them in ads. You've seen in email newsletters. There's stuff that I've forgotten that I've shot that um, brands have used. And I've realized like later on, I'm like, oh, that's me. I actually did a random vignette style one wearing Chrissy Teigen's Cravings by Chrissy robe. And I tagged them and they took the photo and put it in a collage. She regrammed it. And I was like, oh, oh, shit. Yeah. I'm in Chrissy Teigen's Instagram. Like, what? That's (laughs) amazing. I don't know how this happened, but it's cool. But it happened. You know why it happened? Because your flat lays are beautiful. They're inspirational. They're aspirational. And you guys need to check them out. I mean, they're truly amazing. Check her out on Instagram at Elevated Flat Lay. You have the hashtag Flat Lay Slay. Flat Lay Slay. I have so many hashtags about the flat lays. I try to do a flat lay every Friday. I love sharing those elements. And then even just, sometimes it'll just not even be like a real caption. It's just like books. (laughs) And it's just a beautiful image. And like, this is a different way of looking at how to style a thing. And it gives people ideas on how they can see their products in real time. I work with a lot of smaller women owned brands too. So they don't necessarily have these huge photography budgets and they don't, they can't rent out a studio or they don't know how to shoot them. Cool. Holler at me, send me your stuff. You know, we'll set up a package and a program. And then I shoot these really great photos for you. And then you get to use them for whatever. The reason flat lay is so great is because it's not only, I mean, obviously people can hire you to shoot these images for their brands, right? Yes. But it's also something that the every person can learn how to do 
with some proper training. And I know Amber, you have taught courses at alt summit at the higher stakes conference. People can hire you for lessons in how to do this right for their brands, whether they're influencers, whether they're marketing folks, whether they work in any industry. Yeah. That's what I do. No matter what you sell, it can be presented in a beautiful flat lay. It does not matter what you do for a living. You can apply actual flat lay photography to everything. I don't care if you work in social media in like a nonprofit, right? Like, yes, you might think like, ah, it's not that. Okay. But if you have, say you have an article that's being posted in the Washington post, you want to do a flat lay of the actual newspaper and showing like someone reading it and looking at it. And that's going to get your audience to be like, oh, they were in the Washington Post. I need to pick your brain on how to flat lay a podcast on Gen X. We can totally do that. I've done a flat lay for a podcast. I'm like, we got to talk. Fortunately, we can do that. <laughs> but that's what I love about it. It's, it's so versatile. Yeah. My 19 year old knows how to do it. It's amazing. A flat lay is such a beautiful medium in that You don't have to have a beautiful bathroom. You don't have to have a Pinterest or Instagram. The all white custom house. Yeah. You don't have to have these things that let's be honest. Most of us just don't have to create beautiful images to share. I actually got started with a white foam core board from the Dollar Tree that my kid had left over from a fucking science project. Oh my gosh. And I started doing that at both black and white plain foam core boards. And then I found one that looked like uh, wood floors. And I was like, perfect. This is great for clothes. I can look like, it looks like I just dropped it on my floor really quick and I can do a flat lay with this. And then I got more into like contact paper, like the marble stuff. And I was like, oh, now I have like a whole slew of backdrops in my office. I can make it look like an Italian kitchen. I can make it look like an upscale bathroom. I can make it look like a speakeasy. I can give you any type of background. Like I have so much fun coming up with just ideas. So there's a lot of creative freedom in it. Oh, it is. Do I need a fancy camera? Can I use my phone? You can use your cell phone. I shoot 90% of my product photos on my phone. I have three fancy cameras. I only use one of them on occasion. Wow. On occasion. You guys need to check out her work. I will put a link to her photography work in the show notes. And in addition to your content creation, you assist women-owned small businesses in the digital space. I do. So tell me what that experience has been like for you. Oh my God. It's so much more fun. Like just women as a whole business owners, like we're just these marvelous creatures, right? And everybody has all these different ideas. And the ultimate is we all want to help each other. So my job and my goal is to really help other women kind of in these business owners to see themselves beyond and not just in these small little pigeonholed categories. Like, yeah, sure. Maybe you think that you just write fashion. Well, you don't, you actually write more about lifestyle and how this pertains into your overall grand scheme of things. Let's figure out a way to talk to other people about that and get more people on that. So that's also why I do the Can of Kick It and I do have interviews. Um, I was doing Candidly Conversing a couple of times a year where I'll have like random women business owners that I just think are rad or doing major things. And I'm like, hey, do you want to chit chat with me? And I'm the type of person that's like, I will stalk you into being my friend. 
and not in a creepy way, but like, I think that you are like a prolific businesswoman or there's something to be had there. And I want to find a way to be a champion of you. So even if I don't know you personally, I'm going to share your stuff. I'm going to support it in any way, shape that I can, because I know that women supporting women is how we get shit done. And that's how we win because we are the ones we're the word of mouth. We're the reasons that stuff happens. We know that as women, we have the most buying power. We know that we're the ones that push the narrative on everything with the exception of like policies that are being made. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> That's another podcast. That requires alcohol. <laughs> but it's like, it's my favorite thing to see a woman be like, Hey, you know what? I loved chatting with you the other day and like the photos you took really helped me see my business in a different light and like push it to another level and then get these photos taken or have somebody share them. And then they're like, oh my gosh, that's my product. I can tell in your energy, you believe that there's room at the top for everyone. Yes. My whole thing, I always talk about networking across and not up. And we have all been taught that we network up. You want to go to the, you want to be the person with the person who's above you and that thing. And we were blogging for so long. And that was always how it was in the blogging industry. You want to network up, network up. Like we liked bringing people together, but like, eh, I really want to be the main standout. Right. It looks like a pyramid. Yes. And now it's more of like a big giant collective. And then we all sort of take those steps together. We're all on these same ladder rungs together. And I really see the importance of that. And it, it really is about like actually each one bringing someone else in because there's stuff that like, I know that you don't know, and you right. know that I don't know, but if we can combine our forces, oh my God, wonder twins unite. Like we can be unstoppable. We are like, yeah, we are the power Rangers and Voltron at this point where you're like, yes, right. we actually do need to combine network across and then together we all rise. I love that. You guys, you want to get to know Amber Dorsey. Oh God, she so wants sweet. to link arms with you. She wants to kumbaya our collective success. I do. She's on Instagram from carpools to the number two cocktails, elevated flat lay, carpools to the number two canamom. She's all over the internet. You could see her beautiful work. And I just want to thank you so much, Amber, for taking time to be your magic, amazing Gemini self to talk about Clueless. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. This is so my favorite movie. And I'm so glad that I got to chat with it with somebody who actually appreciates and can understand oh my, God. my love for this movie and how the significance of it in all of our entire lives. Thank you so much. And of course, thank you, thank you, thank you, Gen Xers for listening. Please remember to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And of course, you can find us on the web at theuntitledgenxpodcast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at the Untitled Gen X Podcast. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. 